For the watch. I've got two drinks, so... Gave me a little thrill, too. Me too. too. I'm ready for this. What do you got? I got water and crystal light. <gasps> crystal light? Just like it's a 1980s, yeah, and you haven't exactly. seen Labyrinth. Absolutely I get know. the hell out of here. Wow. <laughs> My pop culture references are severely lacking, so... Just watch it. It's okay. Just watch it. Just watch it. Like, don't even, like talk about it just just watch it immediately after this you have seen dragon slayer though right hmm. are we recording no. yet like yep. are we are we are we're <laughs> doing the podcast now mm-hmm. okay yeah. the reason dragon slayer is important is you know it was a huge influence on george r, r. martin for these books hmm have you zach because have of, you seen it because of i haven't seen it because of dragons or do you have a more specific or is it just vaguely dragons well, actually, it's a really wonderful movie and very smart. It's actually, it, it, I mean, it's like a, you know, high fantasy you know, type of thing, but it turns out to be kind of like political commentary. Um, but that's where the name Tyrion comes from. Mm. It's oh. also where the name, um, what, is the, what is the name of the dragon that really inspired? It was like Veramax or, and then the last word was like an actual word, like foreboding or something. What is we can Google that dragon? Dragons. From Dragon Slayer. Yeah, and it's Slayer, not Lair, because that's the video game, Dragon's Lair. The movie is Dragon Slayer. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Uh, did you did you look it up? Or who's who's interneting? Here we go. Uh, looking for something with a V. Natsu, Dragneel, Gajil, Red Fox, Wendy. These are the actual Slayers. These aren't the dragons. No, you got to find the name of the dragon. Dragons from Dragon Slayer. Okay, who are the seven, who are the five dragon gods? What? Vier, Viernes? <laughs> second generation. Everyone cares about the slayers, not the actual dragons. I'm going to open up the internet. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Like serious. Here we go. Um I mean, you just open up the Wikipedia page. Oh, there's Valerian. There's also somebody named Valerian in this. There's somebody named Tyrion in this. Wow. And there's the dragon, uh, Vermithrax, but what's his last name? Vermithrax pejorative. Yeah, Vermithrax pejorative. Yeah. Interesting. Here's a quote from George about it. Okay. In the Wikipedia. Everyone has a first dragon, the one that awoke their sense of wonder about the creatures. For many, it's Anne McCaffrey's elaborate world of Pern, where genetically engineered intelligent dragons bond with their riders. For others, it's Smaug and the Hobbit guarding his horde deep in the cape. But for me, it was the awesome Vermithrax from the 1981 film Dragon Slayer. Yeah, this seems go. like something we need to watch. Yeah, I, I assumed like if you were like you know actually fans of George R. R. Martin, <laughs> we'd watch and every let's movie say if you he's had ever a seen. Podcast about his books. <laughs> sure, you would at least watch this one as it seemed kind of you know important. But I mean, literally, I mean Valerian and Tyrion came from there. Mm. Putting us on blast as fake fans that's at the very top of our own show. I feel so <laughs> exposed. Yeah, so welcome to Expose, the podcast <laughs> where we expose podcasters. To be the fake fans that they truly are. We'll have to put it on the list. Everybody, David J. Peterson <laughs> is back on the podcast, if you haven't noticed so far. We're so excited to have you. So am I. I'm clapping for me. What can you tell us about... <laughs> uh, Yes. <laughs> the, Diving in from the beginning. The uh, I would say it became news. The news broke that you were working on the HBO's new Game of Thrones spinoff series, House of the Dragon. That's right. You created languages for Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. 
you've worked on, as we discussed on our last episode with you, other spinoffs of the series that haven't made mm. it this far. This yeah. one's made it the furthest. That's really exciting. Yeah. So, uh, so to kind of like wrap up on like all the prequels, this is what I know so far. So I was working on uh, the old Valeria prequel. I don't know if it ever had a real name, um, but that it never got to like the part where I was asked to do translation. I was just contacted about it. Uh, they were talking about kind of like, you know, world building and filling out the world. And then next thing I heard, it was done. Um, I was working on the uh, the other prequel whose name was, help me out, um, with the Children of the Forest. Um, I forget now. Ah, I forget crap, now. I it's been a couple of years. I know. I can't remember. Um, but that one, like, that one was really moved Moon? forward. Blood Moon, thank you. That one really moved forward. So I was going to be, for that, I was going to be using the language that got dropped in Game of Thrones that I created for the Children of the Forest. Um, I was doing translation into that language. Um, they also had me create a language for the Andals. Mm-hmm. Um, that cool. would have been fun. And uh, that one did film a pilot. And so I just assumed it was moving forward. But I mean, wow, I, I, was, I was really shocked that, that HBO canceled it after filming the pilot. Uh, but I guess, you know, it shows how serious they are. You know, it's kind of assumed that was more of a formality. I guess it was not. Um, then, of course, uh, this other, you know, prequel that heavily featured Valyrians was mentioned, uh, House of the Dragon. You know, first it was rumored, then it was mentioned, then it was announced. And this entire time, like, nobody had said anything to me. And it's like, it's supposed to be all about the Valyrian. So I was like, I mean, you're not going to have any Valyrian at all? Um, And so I thought I was being contacted comparatively late, but I guess, conversely, they just announced it comparatively early. Uh, I feel like, you know, once I saw how things were, I feel like I came in at roughly the time I should have. Um, So I'm kind of surprised that they announced it so early, but... um, we're in the middle of production on that. And it's like, obviously, I can't say anything about my specific role in it. But I can tell you that I am very, very excited about it. Um, it's rare that I'm actually, like, super impressed by the writing in a script. You know, usually it's it, it all comes together when you see it. Uh, but the writing is really good. Um, and so I, I have... I have sky high hopes for this thing. I really hope, because I mean, obviously you never know with a script, you never know what it's going to be like, but I really hope that this comes off well and, and people like it. Um, I, I hope the, the season eight naysayers, you know, the, the ones who are all disgruntled about the last Jedi, they get that all out. <laughs> and uh, give this You're show putting a them chance. in the same camp automatically. Season automatically. <laughs> Gosh. Automatically. <laughs> okay. All right. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. But yeah, I, I just, you know, like, I, I just hope they give it a chance, you know, because I, I, because like, I totally understand though. I totally get the perspective of somebody who was like, you know, this, this show or this movie burned me. And so I'm done with this franchise, you mm-hmm. know, forever. I, I, I do actually understand that mentality. In this case, <laughs> I really hope that they, that they give it a shot. Um, because so I you're, you're shilling for it now because you're working on it, right? 
No, <laughs> I, I rarely show for stuff I work on. Like this one, I actually like. I could <laughs> do you do you like it better that. than GOT? From what you've seen, I mean that's hard to say. That's hard to say. I think it has. Um, I think it has real promise. I think the quality is starting out super high, and so that's very exciting. And but it's like where it's it's going to stack up. I just don't know. It's um, hard to say till you see it on screen and it like all yeah. come together in that final thing. But we saw there were some photos that were so many leaked from set over of the last course. couple of weeks or so. And yeah. I was kind of, I mean, I was excited <laughs> about House of the Dragon, but seeing those leaked photos and hearing you talk about your involvement and all that kind of thing over the past week, I've just been amped on it to kind of be back in the game and so anybody who was maybe unsure or on the fence or not interested i think that their opinion may change as we start to get more information as photos come out as all that kind of thing because you can't help but get hyped up for being back in this world that we all love so much yeah and like it's really exciting and seriously for the for the people that like just are so burned out on on the series it's like i really do get it I'm I'm not asking you to like watch the whole show and love it. Just you know, watch, <laughs> watch the, the first episode. You know, watch the first episode <laughs> or two, right? And and just you know, with an open mind. That's all I ask. And um, and yeah, I pay special attention to all the work I did because that's going to be the best stuff on the show, <laughs> right? Of course. Um, I feel like obviously. it's going to be it's going to be translation heavy for you. It, it just knowing about the period of the of the series and where they are in in their story, I feel I feel like more so than ever that your role in this will be cru- more crucial than the other bo- the other shows episodes. I mean, I, I can neither confirm nor deny, but mm. I can. But I can see I can you on video that. and I can see you smiling. <laughs> 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 I, I'm I've, so happy. Uh, let's just say I've had a lot of work since the end of last year. I'm so happy that you're that you're working on this because on, on the last time that we talked on the podcast about the prequels, I we didn't know you didn't know this. We were just talking yeah. about the status of the other projects that had been scrapped, and when when I found out about this, I was so happy. I'm really, really glad that they got you in there. I'm so glad that they didn't pick someone else to do it. I'm not sure who else they would have picked. I'm so glad they didn't just go off of your old work. To me, when I learned about that, my spirits mm-hmm. about the project were heightened even more because I was like, okay, this is a lot of the same energy. Now, once they get Ramin Javadi back in there to do the music, I feel like we're getting enough of mm-hmm. the old team back. And like, Okay, we're pushing into good waters. And like you said, Hannah, seeing yeah. the, uh, the leaks come out like normal and and seeing that familiar feel of people standing on the beach and having serious conversations mm-hmm. and very decorative clothes. I, f- I feel all the familiar warm feelings of it coming back. I hope it's good though. I also, I, I also appreciate this being, you know, like a, you know, COVID in a pretty good quarantine because it's like, now it's like, you know, the leaks aren't me, damn it. <laughs> Just <sitting laughs> I'm not doing nothing, man. I ain't doing nothing. But, uh, but seriously though, um, and I do want to say this, once you know the season comes out and it airs, uh, please have me back because I want to talk about all the stuff I did. Because right it was on. All, you know, comparatively speaking, it it might be a lot anyway, and I'm excited yeah, about it. But of course, can't talk about it. Love to pick your brain about it when we get to the other side. It'll be really fun. Nice. Was there David for you? I mean, so you've you worked on Game of Thrones before and now you're coming onto this project and it's officially moving forward. Is there any difference mm-hmm. for you working on this project 
at this point understanding the success that Game of Thrones was? Is there like a different atmosphere or pressure maybe coming off of Game of Thrones onto this project? Or is it still just kind of heads down doing my thing and, you know, making cool stuff? Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's vastly different. It's vastly different. And all the ways that it's different, it's better. Um, you get I mean, me first excited. Of all, you, you, I mean, you also have to know that, like, if you're talking about an equivalent time for for Game of Thrones as to where I am right now in the show, I mean, that was my very first show. I never worked on anything else. Um, I was still like, I was still like writing a bunch of dialogue for the background characters and sending it and say, you could use this. Like, I was transcribing everything in an IPA, thinking that the actors would find it useful. I was working with PDFs. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, yeah. Like, so in terms of like me as a professional, I'm much better, much, much better. Um, and second, um, like everybody's coming in knowing the level of expectations and the level of scrutiny. And so um, it was just that way from the beginning. Right. With, with Game of Thrones, it felt like every season that built a little bit and things changed a little bit every single season. Um, still so bummed out. God, I'm so pissed off that people leaked like episodes of season seven because literally that's the only reason there's not a picture of me on the set of Game of Thrones. It's because it's because of that, like specifically. Mm-hmm. They just, they shut down everything. Like you had to put pictures on the part that takes, or you had to put stickers on the parts that take pictures on your phone. And it, you couldn't even, they wouldn't even take a picture of you using like their own camera. They were doing a behind the scenes documentary in there. So, so it was like, well, maybe, you know, you'll be in it like by happenstance. But aside from that, that was it. So it's like, it was great that I got to see it and I got to be there and everything. But, you know, all I've got is like they they'd set up one of those little photo booths where it takes four photos um, in the office and so I have that, and, uh, and below it it says GOT season eight. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I mean, I can't even stress that's literally just because those episodes leaked. That was it. So, you know, congratulations, guy. Whoever did that. <laughs> Ruined it for the rest of us. Ruined it for yeah. David's Instagram feed. Damn it. Yep. But anyway, yeah. So, like, um, because of that, though, like everybody knew about the security beforehand. And so it's like everybody was on the same page. Um, and, uh, like, it was just, it was just, for me, it was really nice knowing that like everybody knows exactly what's going on and there are no surprises. So, um, it's, it's been better hands down. It's really cool. How'd you feel it's when exciting. they reached out to you? Oh, it's like fucking finally. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was so, I was so nervous. I was like, uh, I don't know. I was thinking like maybe they're just gonna do this whole thing and they were like, oh, there'd be so much Valerians, let's just do it in English. Or I don't know, are they just I didn't know. I didn't know. But um oh, I was so grateful. And and then I was so grateful it wasn't like they bring me on for like one line, you know, mm-hmm. here or there. Um yeah. Mm. Mm. I hope they got you working on more than Valerian. I feel like that's something you probably can't confirm or deny, but no, like absolutely can't talk about right. anything. But seriously, bring me back. Mm, it's gonna be it's gonna be good conversation, good times. The scripts that they gave you, do you, do you think that it's the same thing where you're translating a lot more than what goes in there, just in case there is a leak on your end? No, not that serious. I think like that was 
I, I, and I do understand that, but it's like, in this case, like leaking anything, you know, would be news, right? Right. So, um, no, but there was like, you know, for, for that last season of Game of Thrones, it's like there are specific things that are happening and they want to make sure that those specific things don't get out. Um, and so like, I'm sure that wouldn't, you know, um, that may become an issue down the line. We, we know all of this in history though. Because it's an adaptation that actually has an ending in some way. Yeah. They, they go off in a direction that we don't know about yet. Yeah, we or, said that before when Game of Thrones started airing. True. So that's true. But we ran out of uh, we ran out of books eventually. So we were we were definitely in the weeds at that point. At least open for their interpretation. But I'm not sure how far this series will go. Um, I wonder if it's if it. I mean, I guess there's no way that it would it would be something that's unsuccessful enough for them to not continue to do it. But um. I wonder how how long it'll go, how many seasons this will go, and how far into the fire and blood elements they'll actually go into. Hmm. I'm sure David hopes I mean, it'll go on for 25 seasons yeah. nonstop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was going to say 26, 25 is okay. Yeah. <laughs> 25, I mean, 25 is fair. You you want to reach for the stars, but that's more realistic, uh-huh. I think. Um, but yeah, no, I love, um, I love working on TV shows as opposed to movies because it's like... Um, you know, it's basically like I can look at it and say, well, for the next few years, I have that, you know, mm-hmm. because my my work, you know, it can be so up and down. Um, it's it's nice to have it's it was nice to have a show like The Hundred, you know, like uh, after Game of Thrones, The Hundred was my longest running show. Um, and it's like <laughs> the only reason it didn't keep going, actually, was probably because the actors contracts were up Um and so everything would need to be renegotiated for the next season. Uh, that's that's the only reason it ended. That's why it like, ended. Yeah. So, like in terms of like ratings and stuff and how it was doing for the CW, it could have kept going, but um, basically just reached a point where uh, a lot of the people involved wanted to do other things, which you can understand. Um, but it was it was just so nice. It was like the hundred. It was like it was one language. I was pretty darn good with it. The vocabulary had gotten to a good size. Uh, the workload was manageable. Um, and so it was just like every year I've got at least that, you know, mm-hmm. that was nice. So yeah, I'm, I, I really look forward to situations like that. So it's like, I feel pretty good about the Witcher and Shadow and Bone. I feel really good about House of the Dragon. Um, and I'm, I got my fingers crossed that people are finding out about Motherland, Fort Salem, and that they'll watch season two. We'll get a third. Do you find that when you, have the opportunity from a TV perspective to kind of play in the language a little bit longer that you feel like you can be more creative because you're almost, it's almost like you're speaking it regularly and more often than you would say for a movie, you've got a limited time with it. And so you kind of, you don't spend the same hours. And so I don't know if that changes the way that you create it or the way that you use it or any of that creative process behind it that may be more interesting. It's, um, you know, it feels different because like, uh, I'll give you an example. I, I did a couple of things. One for, well, I think one was for Iron Fist and one was for the Defenders where they wanted something translated into Tibetan. Um, and so like, basically I got what they wanted and I just fucking like crushed Tibetan you know, I just sat there and learned and learned <laughs> Tibetan mm-hmm. in the course of a week so I could do this translation. And then it was like I sent it off and then I basically just you know, forgot about it. Um, 
And they asked me to do it again. I'm like, gosh. <laughs> how does, do how does your brain stay so, I don't know what you would call that, sponge-like or flexible it, to learn another language at this point in your life, not being a kid, not having the flexibility or the, I guess, the soakiness of a child's mind to continue to learn languages and to not only write in them, but be able to read it and speak it. I can't learn well, a second language. I feel like it, I, I, I don't understand it. You know, it doesn't make sense to me. The thing is, you got to keep using it. So like, uh, but also like with Tibetan, I just needed to write it. Right. So that was nice. I didn't have to worry about how it was pronounced or you or having to record really good MP3 files or anything. I just needed to, I just needed to learn how to write it. And that was fine. Um, but I, I will tell you though that, I mean, it's, there's no trick to learning a language because the only answer is you just got to keep doing it mm-hmm. again and again and again. That's it. So like you were asking what the, what the real difference was, Hannah, the difference between like a movie and a, and a TV show, it feels a lot like, you know, when I had to like, you know, hardcore learn Tibetan. Um, it's, it's the same type of thing. It's like you, you get yourself geared up for this fixed set of dialogue and so it's like, it's not just building the language, it's like figuring out how to use it and figuring out how things are going to be worded for that thing. And it's like, it's in your brain for a while, but then the movie is done, and so it goes. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, like, like I was really good with those languages for Bright when I was on, but it's like now, fuck. It's, I was it, just thinking about that. Give us some orcish. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, like I, you know, pronouncing them is one thing, but like actually being able to, to work with the grammar, I'd, I'd really need to get back into it. But something like um, The 100, if like just randomly they email me right now and said, hey, we're doing another episode of The 100 for no reason at all. Can you translate this stuff by Friday? I'd be like, yeah, in fact, I'll have it for you tomorrow. Um, because, you know, I just did it for so long that it just, is a part of you. Mm-hmm. And for me, like that's, that really happened with uh, Trigata Slang from the 100, with Castathan from Defiance, with Dothraki, uh, and now with Valyrian. Well, though with Valyrian, the actual stress test for me was making that Duolingo. Holy shit. <laughs> Gotta know your <laughs> stuff to do that. Um, but it's nice. Like I, I feel really good about uh, the grabber of Valyrian now. Um, and and just sitting down with it because it was it was a little tough at first. It was a little tougher, like than Dothraki. Dothraki made more sense to my brain than Valerian did, but I'm getting it now. I was going to ask earlier what a what the week the, those intense weeks of language learning looks like. When you say a week, is that a couple hours a day? Is that most of every day for a week? Most of every Are you day. Looking at it on the weekends. Oh yeah, like if I mean you know that's the time I've got. That's the time I've got. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it's like. It's it's like you got to pull up different you know grammatical descriptions to help you out because sometimes the one grammar writer is going to be a little bit um, uh, like idiosyncratic, um, but it was really just like identifying what are the constructions that I need, and then going to learn those constructions, but then figuring out but what would you actually say here, like um, like. Uh, with with English, for example, like if imagine you were translating something that ended up being "I've got this" in English, um, like you could learn, you know, get, gets, got, gotten, and you can learn about contractions and the perfect, but there's nothing that really teaches you that it's "I've got this," not 
I've gotten this, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's like no reason that should be the case. It just is. And, and so that's the type of stuff that I had to sit down and try to figure out, you know, to make sure that it wasn't just this makes sense on paper, but this is actually the way it's done. Um, and so, you know, that's what it's like. I figure out. Weird. Yeah, isn't it? So it's like I figure out what I think the translation be should be. And past, right? And like go. gotten could be now, but also gotten you could be referring to in the past tense. It's, it's basically, it's like got has two separate past participles. Um, and there's no reason for it. <laughs> and they're kind of, they're different in their distribution, but like there's, there's, and we know how to do it intuitively as English speakers, but there's really no reason for it. And you're facing basically these same issues just through other languages. Like yep. they all sort of, they're, they're trying to say the same thing. So in yep. Valyrian, would they, would they have a reason to say something like, I got this? And if they did, would it seem casual to them? Would they casually say that? Or, does the way that they evolved within their language make them think about it and say it differently? Oh yeah, like uh, when it comes to that, actually, you know, using your own language and building it up, then it's 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 an entirely different ball game. It's a it's a matter of like you have to define what is casual and what is formal mm -hmm. within the language. So, are you thinking about what a Valyrian person how how they would be casually before you choose how to translate it then? Yeah, and then Putting of course, yourself you in their shoes. figure out the situation and see what makes sense. Yeah, and there are times where that you know that is relevant, um, and that's that's more of like a, a translator's thing too. So it's like you have to create the tools as a language creator, but then when you sit down as the translator, that's also a different thing, and that's the same with any language. You know, figuring out what's the best way to say this to convey the spirit of what I've been asked to translate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big task. <laughs> I always think about, and this may only be slightly relevant, but when it comes to English, I think about like the difference between a booty call and a butt dial are two completely mm -hmm. different worlds away from each other. And so how you kind of convey meaning of things like that in Valyrian aura when you're learning Tibetan in the course of six days, it's, a, it's like yeah. all those cultural kind of understandings add such a low level of complication. Yeah, it's exactly that type of thing that it's so hard to to ferret out. And you get it eventually by learning the language over a long period of time and with interacting with native speakers. But yeah, if you just got to wait, you don't you don't have that luxury, so you just got to try to figure it out as best you can. And some things are just so weird. Like if you think about English where you say um uh, like uh, talk about a pencil, it's like, yeah, I've got one on hand. It's not appropriate to say on the hand, on a hand, on my hand. Like mm -hmm. it, you can't even put any of those words in there. It makes absolutely no sense. You just have to say on hand, even though that's not really what we do with nouns most of the time. You just got to know it. Mm. Tough stuff. I was going to ask if you've ever dreamt in a language that you've created, or if you ever had thoughts in a language that you've created outside of the working process. I don't think so. I've uh, dreamt in Spanish. I've dreamt in American Sign Language. Um, oh, and then I, what? <laughs> yeah, Arabic, yes. And then I've had fake versions of natural languages in my dreams. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, there was this one, and I, I wrote down as much as I could before I forgot it when I woke up, but there was oh, this one so where uh, I had prepared, like, I was in the dream, I was a graduate student, and I had prepared a phonology exercise on the Sardinian language 
for my students. And when I woke up, the first thing I realized, it's like, oh my God, that's that's not anything like Sardinian. In fact, it's nothing like any language. And the patterns are really bizarre. So it was like, I realized that. And then I realized, oh my God, the patterns I created are just, just don't make any kind of sense. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. And so I quickly tried to write as many as I could down <laughs> before I forgot them. It's pretty You're cool. like, and that's what I made Valyrian for the latest season of House <laughs> the Dragon. That's how you got it. When you, you reached deep into the ether, the universe spoke to you and you used that as your code. <laughs> I wish goodness. there would have been some kind of secret within that that you discovered. You're like, yes, I actually found a new pattern. Oh, I I actually, uh, something I dreamt that did come true once. Um, <laughs> I dreamt that I had uh, misunderstood uh, misunderstood Robert Frost's The Road Less Traveled um, and that I actually had the real meaning. And then I woke up and I reflected and I realized that I was correct. That's pretty cool. Yeah. What's the it's meaning? Like, well, it's like, you know, everybody everybody knows the road less travels. Two rows diverge in a wooden plane, right? And mm-hmm. and I think the impression that everybody gets from it is like, it's like this profound thing where it's like, you made a choice and that was, you know, and that made all the difference. But, but really, <laughs> it's just a commentary on hipsters. Because like... <laughs> He's literally saying there's two roads, they go through the same wood, and they're pretty much not different. But I chose the road less traveled okay. by, and that made all the difference. But that was actually what he intended. That was what he intended. And people have been misinterpreting it, like, <laughs> the mm. whole time. Which ah. kind of embodies the whole attitude, cheekiness of it in the first place, because you know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> are you really good at math no Uh, i did go all the way through calculus bc in high school and i took the calculus uh ap test there's an ab portion and a bc portion on the ab portion i got a two okay on the bc portion i got a zero no way is it too good it was possible it's out of five okay yeah. A two is mm. respectable in that kind of arena. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think that they were offended by some of my answers. So there was one of them where it said integrate this function. And so what I did on the page was uh, I put a box around it and said step one. And then step two, I, I showed a little stick figure with a hammer. Yes. And the hammer was called integrate. And he was <laughs> smashing the box. And then step three was just a pile of rubble. And then I pointed to it and said, uh, solution. <laughs> you would have got a five in critical thinking for that answer. <laughs> <laughs> but you're working with these uh, these clusters of code, basically, when you're creating these languages, right? Once you, Especially yeah. once you write them and establish them. I feel like just because you're so interested in creating lang- languages that you're more proficient in it than you would be in calculus but i feel like you this the, your strength of pattern recognition and sort of like being able to move with through move through them with intuition would be really powerful in handling big formulas or something well it's kind of funny that you had mentioned that because like i clearly have some math capabilities they just weren't useful ones because like you remember those uh equations where it was like uh you know ax squared plus B-Y uh, cubed mm-hmm. plus C-Y quadrant equals something or other. Yes. And you had to solve for those. Um, I uh, And you had to solve for the variables. Um, 
I created a program on my TI-82 calculator that allowed you to put in the coefficients and, you know, the, the exponents, just type them in, and it would tell you what X, Y, and Z were. Whoa. I wish we were friends in high school. <laughs> you could give me <laughs> yeah, like, I figured it. I figured it all out by hand, like, without numbers, just with the variables. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the end, and I was just like, okay, just type in that code. And sure enough, it worked. Wow. That's a powerful calculator. Oh, yeah. Oh, I also created a, a, a role-playing game, like a battle role-playing game on it. Where it's like, you know, you would fight a guy and then if you won, you would go to the next level and fight another guy. And there were like, you know, you could you could say like what attacks you wanted to do and you could sometimes get critical hits. Those were good calculators. I liked them. Yeah, we always played games. But my the games I played on those calculators were a little bit more simplistic, but same energy. I just put cuss words on it. <laughs> Show people. <laughs> Some of those are pretty were pretty uh Intricate, you know, you had to sometimes do equations that were also yeah. dirty. You could do dirty equations to find dirty answers. <laughs> Meanwhile, you, you were making RPGs. Yeah, that both was, of those uh, things that make was obviously sense. a very popular. <laughs> yep, they do. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm really excited for this show now, even more so after talking to you about it like this. Damn. I guess, did you look at the leaks? What do you think about how it's looking? Costumes look great, but also, like, I try not... Like, I, I just happen upon them, but I try not to actually, you know, click through or anything yeah. because, you know, feel like it sends the wrong message. So <laughs> you really I, worried about that? Well, I don't know. But it's, well, it's the type of thing, it's like, all right, there are leaks, there's an article, the article gets more hits, then it, then they're like, wow, this money. is a really good article, then we should do more like that, you know? So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like to watch trailers of movies that I know that I want to see because I don't want to be spoiled. So this part yeah. is hard for me because I, I really want to soak it in. But I also kind of want to be a part of this whole era of it too because we have all this lead up to the show. And mm. that that's fun too, but it's complicated. I don't know. What about yeah. you, Hannah? I say bring it all on. <laughs> well, like for, for Game of Thrones specifically, and then I think back to like Harry Potter and things, I was always really strict about leaks for Game of Thrones itself because I wanted to experience it firsthand. But for House of the Dragon, I mean, first of all, I'm starved for entertainment. And second of all, it's I see it a little bit differently just because... It's a spinoff, and I know we've got some context, but we don't have a lot of context. We don't really have—our expectations of what's available is so different than it was for Game of Thrones itself. And so I'll take anything I can get. So I'll I'll keep the spoilers. I'll keep us up up to date on what the leaks are. You, you don't have to watch it if you don't want to. <laughs> I'm going to watch it. I'm not going to be able to stop. I like that energy. It's like we took Game of Thrones pretty seriously for— a decade now 10 year anniversary holy crap shout out mm-hmm. yeah so all right let's just let's just have fun with this one shall we so if, yes. if we could turn off the podcast right now you can just tell us what some of those lines said <laughs> yeah. <No>. <laughs> <laughs> we won't do that do you guys want to do the chapter yeah oh yeah um, anyone can this, believe that we're also doing a chapter during this episode. Yeah, we've never had you on for a, a non... I, we did just talk to you basically as a normal interview episode, but we I, we talked a couple months ago and I was really excited. I was like, David, let's get you on for one of our last chapters of the reading order that we've been working on for years now. And I forget, nice. you picked the last Tyrion chapter and then you wanted to see yeah. John die. 
So yeah, here it is. This is good. I, I will say this is kind of a special thing because um, this is one of the few chapters of the entire series that I've read, you know, with my eyes. Like I've read all the uh, Daenerys chapters in isolation uh, for the first three books. Um, but other than that, I listened to audiobooks for the whole series, which were amazing because Roy Detrice is an amazing, amazing reader. And I'm really sad he can't do Winds of Winter. But, um, but you know, it's, it's a very different experience. Um, it is. So there's, you know, there's stuff I missed. Um, absolutely. But, um, so it was kind of cool, you know, to read through. Remember how much I dislike Book John? You dislike Book John? He's, I mean, so I, I will say that I kind of like his chapters um, because, I don't know, it reminded me of Harry Potter. It's like a dark <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah. but um, Some dark Gryffindor energy. I don't know. He's just like, he's he's got a little bit of the, of the Zuko complex. Honor! And it's just like, he just does some little wienerish things all the time and and some really stupid things because he's like well this is the way people should behave so they will behave that way and i was just like ah. yeah that doesn't work yeah oh boy <laughs> this one was tough for me reaching the end of the chapter i was uh i felt my heart racing once he once he left the shield hall Mm-hmm. And uh, I just felt I felt the environment. George really using the environment as he always does, and what all good art encapsulates in their different forms as best as they can. The uh, the energy of what's happening, and I felt it just like a, a vortex, like a funnel, like a black hole, mm-hmm. just pulling everything into the moment where they stab him, of the chaos, with one one roaring, with the the scream, with everyone shouting. Uh, and I guess what it really, probably one of the more grisly images of uh, of that energy being represented with one one swinging uh, a corpse with a limb ripped off is just... Oh, it must have been so fun for George to have those ideas and to do the homework and eventually get that chapter honed like an edge in that moment because holy crap was it effective. Yeah. I um the something that I really like about what George R. R. Martin does, there's this effect that you have in, when watching a horror movie that is really obvious. It knows what it's doing and it's trying to do it. The, the, the type of thing where it's like, oh my God, don't go in there. Or it's music, like, no, music, get music. in the car, right? But it's like, George R. R. Martin does the same thing, but you don't know what's happening or why. He's building tension with like, out it being obvious what's coming. Because that's something that's really obvious as you read this chapter. There's a lot of people doing shifty things and behaving strangely, mm-hmm. right? Unlike themselves. Yeah, and then there's the whole thing with Ghost. Um, and so it's like, all you do, it just makes you feel anxious that something is going to happen, but you don't know what it is, and you don't know who's going to perpetrate it. And I thought that was done very effectively. Yeah, Melisandre especially, giving John a kind of, uh, a sort of prophetic vision without the use of a lot of ceremony. He didn't have to go meet her and go through the usual song and dance. She was just very... Plainly, I'm, I'm seeing you. You need to know this. And it was just as prophetic as everything else that also really stuck out and made me feel really uneasy. Did you guys pick up on that, that this could be the end for John 
the first time you read it because I remember reading it for the first time and absolutely kind of feeling that tension that we're describing, but I had no idea that John, who I felt like had so much plot armor, was going to be the one to go down. And so even rereading it on, you know, over and over again, that first time he gets stabbed, there's such this great twist of, and it's because John's feeling this way too, of, wait, what is actually going on? That had to have been an accident. Mm -hmm. What's happening? Kind of thing. A little bit of chaos at the end. And so wondering if you guys in this chapter understood that John's fate was what it would be, or if that took you by surprise, like it did me. Oh, for me, I will tell you it took me by total surprise. And recall the first time that, you know, I I read it, right? I was listening to an Mm -hmm. audiobook. And the one thing about that, um, especially the way I listened to it, which was in the shower, um, <laughs> you can't like you can't go back, you know, like it's just moving ahead. And so, like the first time, I was like, "Are you serious? That can't be what actually happened." And so, like the first thing I did after I got out of the shower was I got on the internet. I was like, "I can't. That can't have been right, right?" And I was like, "Oh, I suppose. I suppose mm-hmm. it was." Well played. You got me. <laughs> it reminded me of um, of all the things. It reminded me of that chapter with... Um, okay, how do you guys like to pronounce your name? Because Roy Detrice says Brian. How do Brian. you say Brian, it? but you can live okay. your truth. Roy Detrice 100% says Brian. Brian. He says it throughout the series, <laughs> and I was fine with it. And then we're all these things like, Brian. I'm like, what? Anyway, uh, it, it recalled to mind that chapter with her and Biter, Mm. which was really freaky, but where, like, what you are left with is her looking up and seeing his long red tongue getting longer and longer. And that's just what you're left with, and so you have no idea what exactly it means. Later, you find out. Um, But it's like, at that moment, it's like, that doesn't, that's not a thing that can happen in this mm-hmm. world. So like what exactly is happening there? That's the that's the same feeling I had when 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 John died there. I was like, that can't be right. That can't be right. But it is visceral though. There's no long red tongue. There's only daggers. And, and cold. you can't get stabbed yep. with a dagger and cold. Mm. That that line that Melisandre said, I think what where she asked John, where is your dire wolf? Shook me to the core. <laughs> Cause she's mm. It was so haunting. It's just it was so direct. I feel like George was breaking the fourth wall, probably in a bigger way than he had in the story so far, because she's someone that uses magic. She can see the future. She speaks to us half the time in riddles. And like I said, there's a lot of song and dance normally before we get an audience with her. And if it's not like that, then she's with Stannis, who's inherently really important and they have a different kind of understanding with each other. But asking John, where's your direwolf is is the same level of fourth wall shattering as Jon Snow himself being stabbed by knives Mm -hmm. just happening. And we have usually in stories, we have all of it was like uh, when Bokoro, when they were talking about where Jon was thinking about where Bokoro, he was discussing where he's staying at Castle Black and how his boar interacts with ghosts. And they're hanging out in the lich yard. They hang out in the graveyard and, 
it's going to be good for them for these reasons, and his boar is going to be rooting around in the graves for these reasons. And it's it's all the detail that decorates where we are, but we already understand in the first line. They already he, George already said what's happening, and then we have the rest of the paragraph to give us those details of the story. And I feel like with books, that's often what most of the book is. We very we very rarely get those moments that are right directly in your face that you can truly relate to, like Melisandre looking at John and saying, "Where's your direwolf?" And I feel like that's the tension you were talking about, David, when you were saying it was obvious that something was going to happen is because we don't get that kind of question. And if I had read that first before seeing it on the show, geez, Hannah, how did you feel? Because we've been waiting basically for years to get to this chapter. I know that you didn't wait. You weren't on the podcast at that point. So you weren't waiting to read it before the the sullied, unsullied movement was Mm -hmm. changed in, in the fandom. Did you read it with your eyes? Did you listen to the audiobook and... Did you just blast through this chapter and freak out when this stuff was happening with Mel and John? Totally. I uh, had promised myself I wouldn't look up any fan theories or go on any websites after until after I finished the whole series. But I broke that rule as soon as I read this chapter because I was so interested to see if folks thought that this was actually true or not. And so I definitely... And then, of course, the lead up in the show to it is, was really exciting because it was a whole different experience than than reading it in the book. But something that you were talking about um, that I think is really interesting, like that Melisandre moment, there's John is so dismissive of what she has to say. And ah. she's, she's, she's like, or he's <laughs> basically talking about how everything she said isn't true. And he's very dismissive. And then later on when they're in the shield hall and he sees everybody leave, he's so dismissive. Still. He's like, I don't need those guys anyway. Yeah. It's better off without him. He's very dismissive of Solis, of of everybody kind of throughout this whole chapter. He just continues to ignore everything that's going on around him. And I think that the frustration builds as a reader, having read it before and understanding what's happening, you better understand how we're marching towards this situation. And and in the TV show, I think that John is a lot more likable. In the TV show, I think that he makes a lot of like very black and white decisions. But in the book here, I don't know if all of us would be making the same decisions that he make, like made. He's not as easy of a hero to kind of fall follow because I think that what he's trying to do is a little bit more complicated and nuanced and of course because it's a story. But so it's very frustrating to kind of hear his inner monologue dismissing all of these seemingly very pointed efforts to say, listen to what's going on. Instead, he's just very much wrapped up in his own desire to commit treason, basically, you know? It's a really uh, wonderful misdirect to how frequently he comments about, you know, because he sees that Ghost is really upset um, and how frequently he says, oh, it's because of the boar, mm-hmm. you know? it's a It's a nice obvious, simple explanation. Um, It's the one that comes readily to mind and it's the one that George gives his readers. And so it just helps to build tension and try to explain it, um, but explain it in a way that we end up seeing as false. Uh, Yeah. So that, that was another point that I thought was really well done. Mm-hmm. He didn't and boars are scary. Boars so, are scary. You know? They are indeed. <laughs> if, if Ghost is connected to John and Ghost was prickly either because of having some kind of a foresight that's in the intuition of a of a wolf or 
something that's more connected to the magical elements of the story, then then that's one thing. But for the most part, people connect their their animal. I forget what you would call it. I guess aspect. If you could think of it as a a more physical, it's an actual physical manifestation of something that you could think of as like a spiritual aspect. To me, John didn't seem as upset as Ghost was acting throughout the entire chapter. I would say after the after the letter, mm-hmm. definitely after the letter for sure. But um, it seemed like he knew what was going on before John was really upset. Obviously, John was bothered by Hardhome. But at this point, after all the chapters that we've had in the reading order, he, he's already sort of struggled with coming up with his plan for Hardhome and struggled with Bowen and the rest of the guys not fully be on his side. And if, if you remember the beginning part of this chapter, that conversation with Celise could have been pretty highly tense. But honestly, I didn't think it was that tense. I thought it was pretty casual. With, they were disagreeing with each other about how everything is going to go. She was throwing insults at him and it didn't seem to bother him that much. So I feel like there's a little bit in there that we could deduce from that with the ghost stuff. Because like I said, I don't think John was that upset until later in the chapter. Mm. That that line though, uh, seriously, made me feel like I had just put on a new song. Like Kendrick had just dropped "Damn," and you listen to every <laughs> song on the album, and you're like, "Oh my god, he, I mean, we're, we're we're right there with you." You just made something that I didn't know existed, but it exists for all of us now. It's a hundred percent relatable. We're in the moment. It's like a moment in a, a book or in a movie where someone travels back in time. Or it happens a lot in Doctor Who when when Van Gogh is shown his paintings and you're like, look at this, and you're filled with this strange emotion. Like, okay, it's that thing that we've been waiting to happen is finally happening, and he just ignored it. <laughs> well, of course he did. I mean, I think he. That's John. So much of John's downfall is that he is very self-aggrandizing and he also thinks that like nobody nobody understands me like nobody gets me and it's like we were saying at the beginning he very much he's the moral right and he knows what's best and he is the high ground always 24 7 like he doesn't really always see his faults other than kind of some self-deprecation of nobody understands me and i you know da 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 kind of thing he's very i like we were saying some dark Gryffindor vibes because I think that Harry Potter was like a little bit darker than I think Harry would have had some of the same tendencies but um and so what was I where was I going with this but basically he just is such so emo that's like and I just feel like (laughs) in this chapter it's even more frustrating because all these things kind of seem to stand out because we know what's going to happen and i wonder how something like that would read if he doesn't die and i'm curious to see kind of how his personality plays out and kind of what the next steps are for For him and for the night's watch because in the show we didn't really get much of it i mean he came back to life and we're back on the fast track to the end of the series whereas in the book i think it's going to be i mean obviously it's going to be much more complicated and i think that being taught yeah, who he is as lesson. a person. Right. Who he is as a person, how much is that going to change? Is he still going to be that dark and gloomy, I'm smarter and no better than everybody else kind of person? Or is this one of those major transformations into him being able to be like a true leader instead of this kind of okay leader that he's been? 
I have to I have to give John a pass for a lot of what you were just saying, especially in the last book, because he felt like he had to be someone that was a leader that all of these people could follow and that he did have the answer to things and that he wouldn't constantly question what he decided should be in order from the top down. And I feel like when you compare him to Harry, Harry literally said, I am the chosen one. Harry had Order of the Phoenix. He had all those moments where he was like, I was there. I saw all these things and yeah, da, 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 da. And I mean, ultimately, Harry wasn't getting what he wanted, and, he, and so he lashed out because of it. But I just feel like in John's case, the Melisandre stuff, he is still, while I am bothered by it because it affected me so much, I think he has a lot of ground to stand on because a lot of what she said does, does turn out to be bullshit. But when it comes to people like Selyse and other members of the Night's Watch that are ignoring the fact that all of these people are alive and that their lives matter – and that they're not being considered by these people because it's not convenient for the plans or it's making the plans harder or even if it doesn't mathematically work out. I just feel like what we're mad at him about isn't because he thinks that lives matter. We're mad at him because he didn't play the game well enough not to get himself killed. That's what we're mad about. As far as of him course. as far as far as him defending people and not listening to people's bad ideas, I think we can all mostly agree with that. But it's like he just he wasn't little finger enough. He wasn't crafty enough to outsmart them before they stabbed him. And I, I am annoyed at that because it has slowed down things. And if there wasn't a magical person there or whatever ends up ends up happening for him to come back to life, if he does in the series, which he definitely will. Um it would have been a full stop on his whole story, and that would have made everyone really mad. But why would it have made us mad? Because we like John so much, and we don't want him to die. Mm. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, I, I would say that there's there's also a, another element to it. It's that, I mean, it's not merely that he's not Littlefinger enough. It's that we see him perceiving things and choosing to explain them away. Or mm-hmm. choosing to ignore them. So it's not as if he's a complete idiot and doesn't see what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think it's that he does see and decides that this isn't an issue. Exactly. I have an explanation for this. It's not what I, it's not that. It's not that. I'm fine. That's the tough part. It's like yeah. he doesn't exactly. have hope for those people that he believes so fundamentally sees things differently. He's like, they're not even worth me extending the conversation long enough or trying to present what I know in a way that they might understand. He just sort of ends the conversation right there. Which is kind of interesting because so he dismisses the majority of the people in this chapter pretty quickly, but he and Torment have that two hour long combo about <laughs> what to do next. And that kind of warmed my heart a little bit just because it made me feel glad that John does have somebody that he can talk to and he does have some people that he can bounce some ideas off even though it is torment and that doesn't help his reputation outside of um, his own little circle and that's part of the problem with what he's done here at the Night's Watch but he he does have somebody that he can kind of bounce ideas off of. Which... Right. But that's like not having the, the picture on the Game of Thrones set. You still got to be there. You still got to be a part of it. That conversation still at least it happens. So it's not all bad, right? Mm-hmm. At least he is still connecting with people. True. For sure. 100%. I just think that, and it's easy for us to say, but you look at this whole situation with Hard Home. It's a pretty wild decision that he's made to want to, throw so much weight behind this when they already are so limited on resources and when there's already so many other terrible things happening and nobody wants to see people being sacrificed but 
that's a situation that I can kind of understand why everybody is annoyed at him with that. Me the too. whole pink letter situation. Let's go, you know, and I think that maybe that's <laughs> one of those moments where the folks who killed him didn't like that he kind of had that power or sway to be able to get people to do something that's outside the Night's Watch purview. And so there's like all these different reasons behind what eventually culminated into um, the final scene of the chapter. But I got that same feeling, too, because they use the shield hall. And when you look at the state of the shield hall. They had to bring benches in, and George just gives that long paragraph about the history of it and how it was decorated with the shields of all the people that have, that joined the Night's Watch, and they would take their heraldry and put it on the wall. And then that place where they all hung out was filled with all, all of these – just an artistic smattering of different colors and different symbols of who they are and where they're from. And then adding in the element of when they pass away – replacing taking their shield down and burying it with them and just sort of serves as a symbol or like an artistic representation of the fellowship and of the inherent i guess uh, energy of what they're doing being active at one point and then over time turning into a place that they had seen filled with cobwebs and never used and now now they want to use it and and it's just basically like what you were just saying it was too little too late it just wasn't enough to make this not happen. Maybe if this would have happened months ago, if he would have started, and of course it's just a symbol. It's a it's a, a, a like a metaphor for what he could have done or what they could have done to feel closer together. Maybe this wouldn't have happened, but um, it happened right at the eve, the night. He, it's just so beautiful that George did that, that they decided he decided to adopt and try to connect them in some way in the place that did connect them. I and mean, it, obviously it fell into disrepair for reasons outside of John because the Night's Watch has been changing for a long time over time. But basically what he was trying to do was make them feel like those people, those members of the Night's Watch all that time ago. But he was doing it from a completely cold stove. It was an empty room. And he was trying to fill it and get right there. And they'd already made up their mind about who they were and how it just, none of this was working for them. It wasn't the same mm -hmm. night's watch. I had a slightly different read on that because something that I found very interesting, um, because we, we all know what the night's watch is supposed to be. You take the black and everybody is equal, mm -hmm. except for their internal structure, right? But they said of that shield hall that um, the whole point of it was that everybody wasn't equal at one point in time. Because those that came to the Night's Watch who used to be knights got to put their shield up on the wall. They were buried with their shield and apparently they ate in a separate room from everybody else for a time. Um, that practice was discontinued because there were fewer and fewer knights, like the actual knights that came to be a part of the mm -hmm. Night's Watch. Um, so in a way, it was like Opening up the shield hall again and doing that was a real, it's kind of like him thumbing his nose at the Night's Watch. Ooh, I like that better. Because, because like he, that was, that was, you know, when he came in, right? When he joined the Night's Watch, that was the issue. It was like, I am properly educated. I've been taught how to fight. Uh, I may be a bastard, but like I am clearly more noble than you, right? And there was some friction with, with, with he and everybody else at the beginning. Um, and so here he was, you know, beginning 
basically saying that he is going to, even though we're supposed to ignore all of these political conflicts, I'm going to pick up this one again um, and do it in this place and essentially kind of trod on what the Night's Watch has become. That was what I got from that. Oh, I like that a lot better. The, the added detail of the of the, that tradition falling away and with that, the sort of glue that it carried with it being because of the quality of certain individuals coming into their club draining over time is is like the yeah the, the sprinkles on the cake that i think says a lot more than it just it's like the difference between a ya novel and a book of this of this intricacy wow don't diss YA. i'm not dissing it but i think it says the same thing <laughs> but i like i like the the added context because mm-hmm. then i think later now like you were saying whenever he goes to use it again it adds another layer of that sort of uh like uh, how he's like you said thumbing his nose at, at that tradition what do you guys think happens next for the night's watch specifically because i know there's a lot of other things going on and we haven't talked about the pink letter yet and we'll get there but i'm curious the chaos or not that may come after the stabbing because john gets stabbed and it's not like he got stabbed behind a wall behind closed doors or anything it was very much out in the open and something that folks are gonna be tuned into pretty quickly what do you guys think the plan is for the Night's Watch now going forward and what we might see at the beginning of Winds of Winter. We got to think about all the the wildlings that are in the Shield Hall still. Yep. And I feel like... They're all amped up. They're ready to fight. Right. Right. Of course. They're drinking, ready to go. Probably better that's ale and not mead. <laughs> not only for their <laughs> headaches, but... Their ability to swing their weapons. What do you think, David? Well, I mean, the the immediate question that arises, well, it's like, what happens immediately after that? And so it's like, I mean, you have to assume that they wouldn't, the, the Night's Watch, they wouldn't go that far unless they had a plan. And that plan is probably to, you know, ally with uh, Solice, corral the wildlings, um, completely forget about Hard Home and, you know, kind of establish a, a new order, you know, so to speak. Um, where they just don't have to worry about their resources being drained by people they don't want there. But they have all those wildlings to contend with that are outside of Castle Black that have moved and started to that settle the gift. Seem smart. No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem, especially because there, there's still a lot of them still there and they're ready to fight and they're going to be really pissed off that this just happened. So maybe they'll right. burn down the shield hall. They'll trap them inside and burn it down. Mm. Uh. So in cahoots with Celise, and I'm assuming at this point that Celise and her people knew about what the For the Watch plan was to some degree. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So the plan was to kill one one while he was sleeping. And then he woke up and got pissed off. They wanted to kill him, I guess, because they knew what was going to happen. And they needed to get him out of the way before they started fighting. Because once they started fighting and he was a part of it, that they would have a way less strong chance to survive killing the wildlings. Yeah. So trap him inside the room, probably, and burn him down. Otherwise, they'd risk open combat. And as far as we know, 1-1's still alive. So they have the, mm-hmm. they have the, him to contend with, too, at this point. God, that was freaking scary. Do you guys care if and I John's read that? like, everybody take your knives. Like, put your knives away. Put your knives away. This is not uh, a joke. And then... Uh, poor guy. Should I read it? Yeah, read it. I mean, it's going to be kind of long. 
Go for it. So I'm going to try to do my best version of this. I have a pretty high bar, David set. Roy Dutrice right now. I'm not going to be able to do it. Glad I don't have to say Brienne or Brain either way <laughs> in, this, in this reading. Here we go. <clears throat> I will send for ale, John said. Distracted, Melisandre was gone, he realized, and so were the Queen's knights. I should have gone to Solice first. She has the right to know her lord is dead. Yep. You must excuse me. I'll leave you to get them drunk. Car, a task I'm well suited for, Crow. On your way. Horace and Rory fell in beside John as he left the shield hall. I should talk with Melisandre after I see the queen, he thought. If she could see a raven in the storm, she can find Ramsay Snow for me. Then she heard the shouting. Sorry, then he heard the shouting. And a roar so loud it seemed to shake the wall. That came from Hardin's tower, my lord, Horse reported. He might have said more, but the scream cut him off. Val was John's first thought, but that was no woman's scream. That is a man in mortal agony. He broke into a run. Horse and Rory raced after him. Is it White's? He asked Rory. John wondered. Could his corpses have escaped their chains? The screaming had stopped by the time they had come to Hardin's tower, but one wig, one dar, one was still roaring. The giant was dangling a bloody corpse by one leg, the same way Arya used to dangle her doll when she was small, swinging it like a morning star when menaced by vegetables. Arya never tore her dolls to pieces, though. The dead man's sword arm was yards away, the snow beneath it turning red. Let him go, John shouted. One one, let him go. One one did not hear or did not understand. The giant was bleeding himself with sword cuts on his belly and his arm. He swung the dead knight against the gray stone of the tower again, again, and again, until the man's head was red and pulpy as a summer melon. The knight's cloak flapped in the cold air. Of white wool it had been, bordered in cloth of silver and patterned with blue stars. Blood and bone were flying everywhere. Men poured from the surrounding keeps and towers. Northmen. Free folk. Queensmen. I wonder how many free folk. Former line, John commanded them keep them back everyone but especially the queen's men the dead man was sir patrick of king's mountain his head was largely gone but his heraldry were was as distinctive as his face john did not want to risk sir malagorn or sir bruce or any of the queen's other knights to try to avenge him one wig, one dar one howled again and gave sir patrick's other arm a twist and pull it tore loose from his shoulder with a spray of bright red blood so at this point he's just losing it the guy's already dead like a child pulling petals off a daisy thought john leathers talk to him calm him the old tongue he understands the old tongue this is this it sounds like it's a dream right now like a bad dream he's saying very specific stuff and no one's listening to him keep mm-hmm. back the rest yeah. of you put away your steel we're scaring him couldn't they see the giant had been cut john had to put an end to this or more men would die they had no idea of one one's strength a horn i need a horn he saw the glint of steel turned toward it no blades he screamed wick put that knife away he meant to say when wick little stick slashed at his throat the word turned into a grunt john twisted from the knife just enough so it barely grazed his skin he cut me when he put his hand to the side of his neck blood welled between his fingers why I'm going to read the rest of it. For the watch, Wick, Wick slashed at him again. This time, John caught his wrist and bent his arm back until he dropped the dagger. The gangling steward backed away, his hands upraised as if to say, not me, it was not me. Men were screaming. John reached for Longclaw, but his fingers had grown stiff and clumsy. Somehow, he could not seem to get the sword free of its scabbard. Then Bowen Marsh stood there before him, tears running down his cheeks. For the watch. He punched John in the belly. When he pulled his hand away, the dagger stayed where he had buried it. John fell to his knees. He found the dagger's hilt and wrenched it free. In the cold night air, in the cold night air, the wound was smoking. Ghost, he whispered. Pain washed over him. Stick them with the pointy end. 
When the third dagger took him between the shoulder blades, he gave a grunt and fell face first into the snow. He never felt the fourth knife, only the cold. Whoa. <laughs> so good. I thought another nice misdirect was the whole thing about moving the prisoners and how there were two corpses in there. Mm -hmm. Just for, like, it seemed like it was for no other purpose than for at just one moment, you might think it was actually the whites. Um, And it's like, that that was it. I also think it was to give us more resources to start theorizing about stuff about how he's going to come back to life because he was basically saying that it was confirmed mm. that those corpses that were brought beyond the wall hadn't come back to life yet. And we had a very sort of specific reference to a couple different methods of re- resurrection and he's dead. And the other method being Melisandre saying that he, she, she's the one that he needs. You need me for this. And then we know that the sort of normal corpse white magic is for some reason not working right now because he crossed the wall. And he's, I mean, there's people have theorized, we don't know this for sure, but the corpses being inside of the, the ice of the wall, the wall having bearing that enchantment of, I guess, brand, the builder and the children of the forest coming together and uh, creating a, some kind of a barrier against the magic that uh, like what surrounds the great tree being present in the wall. So, I, I'm not sure where all my friends that I talk about this get this info, but uh, they believe that John's body is going to be taken to those cells and put into the ice cells. And so I'm not sure whether or not that's going to make a difference on how he comes back to life. But I, I, to me, there's I'd have to reread the chapter again. I didn't take a note on every single point, but there's a, a smattering of of uh, clues in this chapter that kind of make me feel like the resurrection thing is something that. George knew would be on people's minds. So he kind of made it a little bit more confusing on purpose. There's also some theories that the cold that John feels at the end mm. is either those reanimated guys coming back now because they had been messed with a little bit mm. below or that somehow they had broken across the wall just around the same time. I don't necessarily Ooh. buy into those myself, but I think they're kind of interesting. Like that stabbing that was the him? Cold. Yeah, that then then ensued a larger battle or another threat that kind of came into play. But yeah, maybe just like feeling the cold presence as an aura. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. hmm. right. I think all the resurrection stuff is pretty interesting, and I know we've all had this conversation a lot since this moment and since the show aired him coming back. But we've seen resurrection and reanimation in so many different ways. In the book so far with Kat, with um, what's his name, and Barrick, and we haven't seen the way that John may or may not be returning. And so there's lots of questions about like how his body is preserved, because if he's dead for a long amount of time, then is he going to come back as a reanimated corpse or... If he does or does not warg into Ghost, how much of Ghost's personality does he retain? And if his body, does he get resurrected and his body is warm and normal? Or is he, you know, all these types of questions that we don't really have answers to that we haven't, we've seen a little bit, but we haven't seen a lot of what the possibilities could be. What do y'all think about that? How John will come back and it'll, it'll be in an altered state. I think it'd be a very different book and it's like a book series and it's not going to happen. 
But I think it would be totally cool if he came back as a white and then became like the the right hand man of the Night King, (laughs) (laughs) or the Night King became the Night King. Mm, Sure, challenges him for his throne. Mm. Goes back, takes care of Ramsay Bolton first, and then flies to King's Landing. So, like a a cold hands like white that has a plan and an idea of how to do stuff, (laughs) not just a mindless version. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now he's the major villain. I don't have a theory that's quite as interesting as that, but I do think that he will be a changed person when he comes back. I think that he'll be, like, his body will be able to be pretty indistinguishable, but I just think his personality, I think he's going to harbor a lot of the traumas and the just, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, he's going to have to overcome a lot to kind of function back in Sort of like PTSD. Yeah. I'm going to read a comment. I'm going to read more conversation from John and Mel. And this is why I think that it's going to be Melisandre. Plus whatever's already inside of my brain. A word from you might have swayed the queen. Selyse has the right of this, Lord Snow. Let them die. You cannot save them. Your ships are lost. Six remain, more than half the fleet. Your ships are lost, all of them. Not a man shall return. I have seen that in my fires. Your fires have been known to lie. I have made mistakes. I have admitted as much. Okay, I'm reading the wrong thing. Sorry, guys. I'll just skip right to this. I liked that, though, by the way. I, I It's like, you know, we have that Melisandre chapter, I think, for the first time in book four, right? And you start to see her as more of a person and less mm-hmm. of kind of like... Is that book four? Of I think it is. Where, yeah. where we get, we yeah. combined them in this, and it's but like, I'm not sure. And, yeah, and it's like, but you see her as a person as opposed to this, you know, weird prophetic figure. Um, we get her name. And it's like, yeah, and it's like, I like that she's, you know, it sounds like Melisandre's usual stuff here. But then it's like, she just says to John straight up, you know, I've made mistakes. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, she's really trying She's mm-hmm. really trying. And it's like, ah, oh, man. She did. She yeah, and he, I guess he just sees it as her, like it's not enough. Even though she's being honest and yeah. she's being someone that is is in the flow of a conversation. Someone like her saying something like, I have made mistakes is kind of a, it's something to pay attention to. It's a big leap for her. I'll just read the rest for you, yep. David. This last sentence dedicated to you. Go for it. I've admitted as much, but... A girl on a great, a great a girl on a great dying horse. A great girl on a dying horse staggers in the dark. A promised prince, born in smoke and salt. It seems to me that you make nothing but mistakes, my lady. Where is Stannis? What of Rattleshirt and his spear wives? Where is my sister? Uh, just want to say all those seem like they're in Castle Black. And she says, <laughs> "All your questions shall be answered. Look to the skies, Lord Snow, and when you have your answers, send to me." Winter is almost upon us now. I am your only hope. I am your only hope. It it sounds like it's not something that she's pulling from visions from all of these different periods. It seems like she's lumped them together because the understanding is that they're in the same sort of, uh, I don't want to say storyline, but like the same quest line for playing World of Warcraft. Like they're all, it's the same quest line and the, the prince that was promised is the, the last quest in the zone that you're questing through. It's like the, the the button at the end or the bow at the end of the story. And so if the gray girl, the dying horse, daggers in the dark, it seems to me like she's saying that John is Azor High. 
And it seems to me like at the end of a dance with dragons, if we're paying attention and we're not tearing it apart and we don't, and because of, we don't have a book yet and we're getting maybe too far into details and we're thinking of a lot of really random ways the story could go based on extra materials or based on just our, our general creativity and our affection for strange houses and bastard offshoots of families. If it's as straightforward as it could be where John's, at in his story now and where Danny's at in her story now, this could be like the end of book five GRM being like, and these are the two main guys. They're both basically the prince that was promised for these reasons. Well, we do get his smoke, his body smoking at the yeah. end of this chapter after she says that. I mean, it's John gets when John gets resurrected, absolutely. There's going to be no question about that being propelled forward about him and Daenerys and their, as their stories continue to intertwine and parallel each other, I think that there's no question about the fact that they're the guys. And I think Melisandre has seen what's that line where she's like, I look into my fires and all I see is snow and things like that, you know? So, but it, it kind of made me think about, and I don't fully understand the whole context to this, but there are some theories that Melisandre was part of writing the pink letter or authored the pink letter herself or was privy to the information there in the hope to get John to do the things that she wanted him to do and kind of help bring some of these things to pass. I don't necessarily think that that's true, but I just thought that was like an interesting piece in this idea that Melisandre is kind of actually manipulating the situation more than she thinks she is just because she is having these visions that are true she just is interpreting them incorrectly and that that's just like another piece of her like trying to correctly interpret all the stuff that's going on and her trying to handle the situation but we we need to bring in a handwriting analyst yes Yes. I know. (laughs) Bring in an expert (laughs) for Bravos. Why isn't that the first thing (laughs) why isn't that the first thing that John did you know who said that this was by Ramsey's hand? Bring me my handwriting analyst. He was Probably drunk. Probably because he... He was drunk. Or, yeah. They'd been drinking. He's like, get us six cups. Six cups and we're going to go to the drinking <laughs> hall and drink after this. Or because he recognized <laughs> the handwriting for what it was sure. and didn't think twice about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For everyone listening that does, doesn't know or confused by what the pink letter is, that's the sort of affectionate representation of that letter that John gets later. Everyone on the internet calls it the pink letter. Because of the seal and because of Ramsey and probably because of the way that Clytus looked carrying it in. A little bit of Yeah, he was stressed. Story reference. Yeah, he was stressed. He was stressed because he knew that they were about to kill him, right? He didn't want to be a part of it. Yeah. Didn't wanna didn't wanna maybe cook the goose before it was too early or he knew it was coming or what do you think that their plan was for that? To kill you think John? It was that, that that's what pushed him over the edge? Um yeah, maybe that. I mean, because one plan could be it's like if we really don't want to be involved in this stuff, one plan would be all right. You said if Sean Snow doesn't do this, then you will, you know, come mm. and attack us. So here's his body. Or they said that hurt us. if John mm. does something annoying again, we can kill him. So let's see if he's going to. Break his <laughs> vows and try to get people to ride south. <laughs> but they'd have to wait. 
to make it legal, they'd have to wait till he rode south. And then yeah, but he basically, him. I mean, he drummed right. up the support That's and he true. tried to find a loophole, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a, a pretty wishy-washy one for sure. Gray loophole. I'm not going to take the men of the night's watch. I'm going to take the wildlings, the free folks. Right. Me. There's enough evidence there. Yeah. Then he takes a free folk that also doesn't play well for him because then he is taking the enemy to that is seemingly still the enemy to a lot of those people. So he's kind of stuck. Why do you think they wanted to kill John, honestly, in the first place? Just they didn't like the hard home plan. They just they thought he didn't listen to them enough. Because he's not upholding the whether these traditions of the Night's Watch are good or bad is a whole other discussion, but he's not upholding his oath to be a man of the Night's Watch. He's way too caught up in all this other stuff that's going on. And I think that we understand the wildlings thing. It's good that he brought them through all that kind of stuff, but he's buddy, buddy up with these people that for centuries have been their number one enemy. And so, and he kind of brashly did all this. He didn't really give it time to make amends with each other or to allow for any like amicable feelings between these different groups. He just kind of said my way or the highway and then he is also wrapped up in all these other things, I think. And he has a bad attitude. You know, I think that like there's enough things there to make them go. He's t- he's dismantling what the Night's Watch tr- has traditionally been is what I could see the argument being. And so they, they wanted to kill him. I'm just wondering how much it really affected their bottom line. I guess it did whenever it became about resources at a certain point. But not about just I mean, money, but survivability, food. I mean, you know, when winter is coming. Yeah, they don't have a lot of food. They've already they've got wildlings there, and now they have like this whole, you know, king, you know, or the queen, I guess. Mm-hmm. Queen and her you men. Know, and and here's Jon Snow talking about trying to use those resources to go on a suicide mission right. to save more people. To give them more resources, you know. And even Salise is like, I know that you're still going to go anyway, no matter what I say. So it's like that attitude combined with exactly like you're saying, using all their precious resources that they already don't have enough of. Do you think that Salise is going to believe what Ramsey's letter says and think that Stannis is dead? Mm-hmm. That could be interesting. She'll take it to Melisandre, which is what she always does. Mm. And then it'll be on Melisandre to look. It's like she'll believe whatever Melisandre says. Melisandre's gonna be busy bringing John back to life, though. <laughs> I wonder if the Queen, that would be an interesting twist, if the Queen is showing something in the fire about John being the only one that can save them or something. And so instead of being ordered to not save John, she's ordered to save John by someone like the Queen, like, like against the, the wishes of everyone around them. It's, it's gotta be something like that, or she goes completely rogue, or, or the. Torment and all of his guys basically have like a a front that they hold down where they can defend part of Castle Black against them so they can do their own stuff while holding kind of like how the show simplified it to them being yeah. in a, a room and the room being blocked off from only like eight guys that were in on it not all of the guys at Castle Black trying to get in there that's I think, how I think it'll but it'll be yeah. a lot of people though in the books it'll be more visceral it'll be more scary because there's going to be a lot of them. I was going to say, I think it's got to be Melisandre, though. We Over the years, we've had a lot of different conversations about all these different possibilities. And we've been generally curious and I think for the most part confused. But after reading this and trying to break it down for this discussion, I just I think that it's – I don't want to say obvious because I don't want to discount anyone else's theories. But to me, it seems obvious. 
I'm less sure about the letter, but if John is coming back to life, it seems like it's got to be Melisandre to me. I still don't know if he's going to have a flaming sword, but I think that she thinks he's going to be the prince that was promised. And I've also been kind of unsure about that, too. I would agree with you. Oh, cool. 100% I would agree with you. Well, that's our official uh, podcast stance. Add that to all your news articles. Game of Owns believes Jon Snow is a prince that was promised or will be one of the princes. Per Melisandre. Per Melisandre. What do you think, David? As someone who's worked officially on two adaptations (laughs) of this series, your opinion (laughs) matters way more than ours. Uh I think that you dismissed Patchface a little bit too hastily. Uh, I know, I know. I know. (laughs) What is that quote? But I will tell you that, no, it's, I mean, sounds about right to me. But Patchface, by the way, Roy Trees, he just, I love the way he did Patchface. Yeah. It's, uh. It's it's good it's good listening for those who haven't who haven't given the audio given the audiobooks a shot, um, and it's I I always think when I'm listening to him it's like how much am I supposed to be paying attention to what he's saying like <laughs> that's the best is, question are are they are they jokes or is this the type of stuff where it's like two books from now it's like oh yeah, yeah that's exactly what Patchface said honestly it's the same <sighs> way with a lot of the dreams you think about Ned's earlier yep. dreams and they're also not only prophetic and they're not only let me back that up. They're not only also uh, a little history lesson, but as we learn more, as more books come out, they're prophetic in some ways. And I feel like mm-hmm. George takes opportunities whenever he's dealing with things that are, I want to say, metaphysical, things like dreaming or things like visions or things like someone chanting or like a, a prophecy or being in the house of black and white. And he has these opportunities to not just translate what's literally happening in front of the characters. But when he's talking about the the sky, for example, describing the setting of nature, he's he's opening these little windows of allowing these, uh, these hints almost. Because I think with how good he is at art, they have to be hints because ultimately he's trying to uh, hold up the whole like actual story. And so he has to kind of use real facts about what he's trying to say, but he's hiding them with within uh, like artistic representations and riddles. So a dream is more obvious. Uh, a sunset's a little bit more open to interpretation. And then Patchface being out of his mind and like you said, not being able to be sure of what he's saying makes it even more confusing. But I think that you're right that there's, you're right to be confused or, or curious about that. And I think that when all is said and done, we're going to be able to find those little tendrils of meaning within these moments. I'm not sure what it'll be, but I, I, why miss that opportunity? Especially if you could make it mean something that's kind of genius. I mean, that's what people call artistic genius, at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will lead it. His bells rang merrily. We will march into the sea and out again. I'm not as good as Roy. Roy, under the waves, we will ride seahorses and mermaids will blow seashells to announce our coming. So picturesque. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows seashells don't work as horns, though. And plus, you can't bring another horn into the story. We got enough horns. They're already confusing. (laughs) And it's kind of interesting that a lot of the patch face theories come into play for things that are not even remotely related to what's going on here in this chapter. I know that patch face has made his rounds a little bit. And so he's not just concentrated here. Oh, that's right. Things at Castle Black. But, um, is there a theory for know. this? For this marching in the sea and out again? Is it something to do with the White Walkers or something? Or the Manderleys What's and their it? participation in 
the race for the Iron Throne. Mm, that's obscure. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough to speak to it. Give so us two more years of podcast more fodder, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Reddit. I don't know. Well, um, there is uh, there is something that I think that we haven't mentioned that, I mean, it's uh, it's outside of the book, but it's kind of fun. But we we haven't mentioned the whole thing with Sir Patrick, right? What about it? Um, that he's... Uh, that he's uh, uh, like a, a plant for Patrick Rothfuss, and it's because of a bet. What is that for? Is that for real? I don't yeah, know about know this. this. No, was tell this us. in the Dragon Slayer? Oh, <laughs> 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 I, I, I read about it on the blog. I can't remember what it was, but you know that um, uh, George R. R. Martin he loves both the Jets and the Giants. Um, mm-hmm. Patrick Rothfuss is a big Dallas uh, Cowboys fan, and I think it was just the Cowboys and the Giants were playing, and they made a bet. Uh, whoever's team won, the other person would put them in their next book and have them die a grisly death. Uh, and the Cowboys won. So George R. R. Martin made Sir Patrick, put him in this chapter, and gave him indeed quite a grisly Hell yeah. death. Wow. Well, that ruins everyone's theories that it's a white that was smashed against the wall as a prop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, like, you know that uh, One One, right? Or that's his short name. He's got the full name. But his name, One One, is because that was uh, George R. R. Martin's favorite quarterback, Phil Sims. I heard that one. I couldn't remember it. Yeah. You have uh, obscure penchant for remembering the sports-related things with A Song of Ice and Fire. I followed um, I followed George R. R. Martin's um, Live Journal for a long time because I was on Live Journal too, mm. um, and so at, that was the time where he was where people w- could comment still, and he would engage a lot with uh, commenters. Um, but he would frequently post about you know what was going on with the Jets and the Giants, yeah, um, and you know, and I would talk about how you know I loved the Raiders, and then you know. Maybe one day they'll do something again, but... Um, are you not but, full Rams, uh, or are you staying with the Raiders? You can't. Look, when you bleed silver and black, <laughs> yeah. you can't go back. So it's like, I I love the Rams. I love that they're here again. I'm excited uh, about, you know, opening the new stadium. I'm willing to give What's-His-Face a chance. I'm very disappointed by that trade, but whatever. You know, Detroit Lions guy, what's his name? I don't remember. Stafford. But uh, it's like, now. Nah. Stafford, thank you. But it's like, now nah, I'm... I'm a Raiders fan, wherever they are. I'm just thinking about all the Raiders. We can tie this back into some kind of a Song of Ice and Fire reference. Coming across the deserts of Nevada in a, uh, a Dothraki-like style. There we go. As uh, their uh, their war camp approaches Las Vegas to watch the game. <laughs> it's not that far away. It's not that far <laughs> from you either. You can, still, no, it's not. you can still drive out there. It's actually closer for you, right? Without traffic, for sure. But to the bay yeah, you, you, from uh, SoCal, that's like eight or yeah, nine no, hours. It, it for is, sure. Yeah. It is. No, it is absolutely closer. Vegas is closer to the Bay Area. Um, but also, I'm still hoping that they put in that high-speed rail from SoCal to Vegas because, <sighs> holy shit, change if things. they did that, can you imagine? <laughs> Dude, I cannot. Vegas is like Just your like, backyard at that point. If It is, for I real. No. Yeah. <sighs> Damn. They, they could just... They they put that in. They just print their own money. I swear. I don't know why they're not doing it. There's enough money, oh. man. Vegas, the streets, the parking, all all the things are taken care of by taxpayer dollars, and also the the money that comes from the industry of gambling and tourism being in the state of Nevada could pay for that rail itself ten times over. It's so well taken care of. They just need to come to a plan, make a deal. Everyone should meet yeah. meet in Zizix. Okay. 
<laughs> Meet and Zizix with a piece of paper. Just draw a blank, a blank piece of paper. Draw two lines at the bottom. Each each person, each state, each city signs their name, and let's get it done. You get it done. By the way, it's 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 very charming how you say Nevada. Yeah, it's. I tried very hard not to correct you, but I live there <laughs> too. I got I got corrected all the time. Good. They're like it's it's actually Nevada. When, where I'm from, y'all. Where I'm from, it's uh when you say a eh with an a, it's really country to do that with most stuff. And so uh, saying Nevada is kind of like I don't do it on purpose. The fancy way. It's like a, it's me sort of naturally resisting. Mm-hmm. what my tendency is after about two beers to start talking like really where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> totally got you, Zoc. Yeah, exactly. That's the, <laughs> I actually named it Death Knight that, by the way. Ooh. Yeah. I, <laughs> I like, like that. Yeah. A little different. A little different. I like to have a good proper name. <laughs> Should we talk about this pink letter before we go? We can just keep talking about football and I got, I got, but, I got a limited amount of time here, so let's... I think we should go to own. Let's pound that pound point. cake. I feel like you made your definitive call on what you thought the pink letter was, which is you don't know. I'll make my definitive <laughs> call that I think it's absolutely Ramsey, and David can make his definitive call, and we will have no discussion Damn. about it. Wow. Can't believe Excellent. we're cutting um, the pink letter. I, 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 I mean, honestly, we can just put it to a vote. We can just put it to a vote because I got to tell you, I agree with Hannah. Two to one. Finally, I get a little a little point over here. <laughs> I've got so much more to say. I hope I get a chance in the future <laughs> on a podcast to talk about the pink letter. It's because you said Nevada. We don't have time for that. Oh, jeez. Um, I don't think it's Ramsey, but it could be. There's a lot of different ways that this could be a thing. We're going to our own. But I won't go to any of them right now because we have to end the podcast, sadly. I'm <laughs> one of three. Let's go to owns. I have four of them. Ooh. I'm flipping <laughs> to find mine. I, I have mine loaded up. Go you for do it. Yours first? Ooh, I get to go first? Oh, good. Yeah. That, this way, uh, if, if it's one of your four, then you can say, okay, I have three of them. But my my own goes for, and it's, it, it, it's fitting since we just talked about the peak letter. My own goes to, to Tormund. And it's for his line directly after the pink letter. So John has just read this. He's all amped up. His blood is boiling. He's feeling it. And what does he say? Snow, said Tormund Giants Bane. You look like your father's bloody head just rolled out of that paper. It's like, of all the things, of all the things that he could have said, that's that's what he went with. Yeah. It's perfect. Man, he talks about the size of his member, but personally, I'd like to see the size of those balls. <laughs> <laughs> Great out. What if they were just really small? Would you be disappointed? <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, do you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go next because my own comes just a couple of paragraphs later when John is um, thinking about this and he realizes that. He knows about Mance Raider, da-da-da. It says, John flexed the fingers of a sword hand. The Night's Watch mm. takes no part. He closed his fist and opened it again. What you propose is nothing less than treason. He thought of Rob with snowflakes melting in his hair. Kill the boy and let the man be born. He thought of Bran clambering up a tower wall, agile as a monkey. Of Rickon's breathless laughter, of Sansa brushing out Lady's coat. He's and singing to herself, you know nothing, Jon Snow. He thought of Arya, her hair as tangled as a bird's nest. I made a warm cloak from the skins of the six whores who came with him from to Winterfell. I want my bride back. I want my bride back. I want my bride back. 
Um, I think that we had best change the plan, Jon Snow said. Mm. I like that. It gives John. we were kind of dunking on him, and I was dunking on him a little bit during this episode, but he mm. wrestles with what to do, and I think that that's... I always love those callback moments when he thinks to his siblings, so own to that. I, um, I want to congratulate you on your very proper and fancy and formal pronunciation of Sansa. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My name is Sansa. I'm from Nevada. And I'm friends with Sock. You guys rule. <laughs> That was his. Uh, that was his red door, his house with a red door, mm-hmm. lemon tree. Yeah. Moment. Mm-hmm. I, I I wrote down to read that. I forgot to. I'm really glad that you did. I got you. I read the rest of the chapter though, so that's okay. <laughs> I want to give an honorary own to uh, the just the idea of a pig army. <laughs> yeah. Because yes. it's definitely something that could happen. You know that he could do that. Yes. And the fact that we have that power, we're not using it, is like having extra time turners. We all know that. <laughs> A patch face for speaking up and, and offering to lead. All the times that they dunked on uh, Solis was pretty pretty rough, but you know it was a, it was a no. They they did it to her, so I have to mention it. Um, whenever Solis says afterward, some bard will make a steering song about you mm-hmm. going to hard home, no doubt. And we shall have more prudent Lord Commander, basically saying that you're going to die, and that's cool with us. Uh, last one. King of the Wildlings, Tormund roared. Har, king of my hairy butt crack, more like. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about breaking the fourth wall, George. And not to be too cheesy, but to George for the ending of the chapter made me feel super emotional. Just hearing the way that John's brain sort of fell apart as he was dying. That was really good. And super, uh, he's super in the head of that character. And that's awesome. And I'm going to read, or I, since I've read so much, Hannah, won't you read this? Or David, you can read it. You're the guest. Okay, what do you want me to read? This is an own from, from Katie Young. Owned John for preserving the honor of his men and their oaths, even though he couldn't preserve his own. No man can ever say I made my brothers break their vows. If this is oath-breaking, the crime is mine and mine alone. Hat tip, Katie Young. If you want to follow along with us, you can find our reading order at afeastwithdragons.com. And our next episode is going to be number 116 in the reading order, our last A Feast for Crows chapter, Samwell 5. Samwell 5, Old Town. <laughs> We're very excited about that one. David, I'm so glad that this worked out. This was so much fun. Yeah. This is a, a, an awesome convo. I like having you on for a normal chapter episode, but I'm glad we got to also talk about House of the Dragon. I'm glad that it all lined up this way where you're able to tell people about it and also come on the podcast at around the same time. Yep. And now, uh, and now people have a new, uh, podcast episode to look forward to, you know, mm-hmm. some point in time in the future. Yeah. It'll be good. Yes. We will absolutely have you back on. <laughs> well, should we just do it? Whenever we're in episode two into House of the Dragon at that point, can you talk about it, even if all your language isn't translated? I mean, like, seriously, we can we can do one after every episode. Our special series. Oh, yeah. Just want to come on every every episode. Great. Fuck yeah. Yep. Fuck yeah. New new Game of Owns host, David J. Peterson. You heard it here fun. first, folks. It'll be pretty cool. Want to tell everyone about your show and about all your social links so they can find you? Yes. So you can find me on Twitter now at Daedalus. Um, It's pronounced Daedalus. It's spelled D-E-D-A-L-V-S. 
The reason is because uh, in Latin, U's used to be spelled like V's, and also because it was easier to get that handle on Diablo yeah. 2 yeah. <laughs> than just with a U. Hell yeah. So I, I stuck with it. So uh, Twitter, I'm there. Um, I am on Instagram. I'm Atavrazar, which is the word for excellence on uh, Dothraki. Or in Dothraki, it's A-T-H-D-A-V-R-A-Z-A-R. The reason I'm not Daedalus is because somebody got to it first. It is just parked on it. Bastards. Yeah. Um, and then, like, as for stuff that I'm doing, Shadow and Bone just dropped last Friday um, on Netflix, uh, and that is the adaptation of a good friend's book series, Lee Bardugo. Um, if you are a big fan of A Song of Ice and Fire, you may not know this, but Lee Bardugo was a part of the Brotherhood Without Banners, the fan oh, cool. group that goes to World Gone. Worldcon and meets with George R. R. Martin. She was also one of the last people to be knighted because George R. R. Martin stopped doing mm-hmm. that. But it was the type of thing where you would went to the the party that he hosted, and he would often send you to get some sort of uh, obscure food that was unique to that location. You'd bring it back, and then he'd knight you. So Lee Bardugo got knighted. Anyway, so um, a lot of a uh, lot of Song of Ice and Fire tie-ins for that one. Um, so that's airing right now on Netflix. Uh, Wisher season two is going to be coming at some point in time. We're wrapped on that. Um, Motherland, Fort Salem, is also going to be coming. Uh, uh, season two is going to be coming on, I mean, soon. I don't know when, but that'll be on Freeform. Really encourage you to check that one out. I, uh, I created a language for the witches with Jesse Sams, um, my uh, conlanging partner. Um, and we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, and then also on YouTube, um, I have a series with Jesse Sams, who I worked with on, um, on Motherland Fort Salem, where we create a new language two hours a week on Thursdays, 2 p.m. Pacific. Um, we create it for a board game that I'm making featuring anthropomorphic animals. So we created a rabbit language uh, for our first season. We're towards the tail end of season two. Where we're recreating a language for opossums, and pretty soon it's going to be the vote for which language comes next cat dog or mouse Uh, oh and that by the way it's called uh lang time studio l-a-n-g-t-i-m-e-s-t-u-d-i-o lang time studio so you can find us there you're making a board game hell yes i am dude (laughs) we need another hour let's add another hour to this (laughs) i can't my computer's about to die so i'll leave you guys to have that combo yourselves i gotta pee this was so much fun I'm so excited to have you back on. David, you fucking rule. Um, this was a great Likewise. time. Thanks for all your time and all you do. Bye, everyone. <laughs> all right, have a good one. Bye, everyone. Look at it go. Look at that. Look at all those little bars. I'm recording the shit out of myself now. And you. No, wait, no. Just, just me. Just me because you're coming. Yeah, yeah, just me. Just me.